you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn to Romans chapter 14, and we will look at verses 10 through 12. Romans chapter 14, and we will look at verses 10 through 12. As you're turning there, something I did want to mention, um, because some of you may not know, but Elma Davis, uh, Jim Davis' mom, went home to be with the Lord this morning. Um, Elma was a long-time member at Pilgrim Church, and that's most likely where the funeral will be at. But as many of you know, for the last few years, she has come very faithfully to our church services. And I will always remember Jim faithfully bringing his mom week in and week out. And what a tribute to, to the Davis family. And so uh, details will follow on that. Also, I like to say at a time like this that this message will be specifically geared toward our fathers. I think that Father's Day is special, and I think there ought to be a day when we really emphasize the importance and responsibilities of being or seeking to be a godly father. I fully realize there are men among us this morning who are not fathers. There are men among us this morning who desperately want to be a father and aren't yet. Uh, we are very sensitive to you this morning, and I, I believe there is much that you can also gain from this message. And ladies, um, I hope there is much that you can uh, glean as well. So if you will allow me on this day, I want to especially address our fathers. In Romans chapter 14 and verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Romans 14 is actually a very important passage of scripture in relation to the unity of the church. This is a subject that I spoke on a number of times in the series we went through for the last year and a half or so out of the book of 1 Peter. Romans 14 says or teaches that in non-essential biblical issues, things that are not essential truths of the faith, it is okay for Christians, even in the same church, to have different thoughts, different viewpoints, different preferences, and different tastes. It is okay, because what binds us together is the gospel. And with truths that are non-essential to the gospel itself, it is okay for us to exercise liberty. Unity, or the unity of the church, does not mean uniformity. So we are striving for unity, not uniformity. We don't always have to think the same way on every issue, and we can still have wonderful, loving, abiding fellowship with our Lord 
and with one another. Specifically in Romans 14, Paul addresses issues. There were some Christians who thought that there were certain foods that were unclean and you shouldn't eat. Other Christians thought it was okay to eat any food. There were some Christians that observed special days and some Christians that thought all days were the same. All days are special. And he said, it's okay if you're on either side of those issues. Don't be judging your brothers and sisters. Don't despise your brothers and sisters on those kinds of issues. That is an important teaching in the New Testament and one that is essential that we continue to learn over and over again. But also in this passage is a second principle. Yes, we should not be judging one another on non-essential issues. We should not be despising one another on non-essential issues. But know this, every single one of us, every single person right here, right now, is one day going to stand before God and give an account of himself or herself. You will. All of us will stand before God. This past year, in our Men's Bible Institute class, we went through the book by Tony Evans, whom you just saw in that little video clip. Approximately 18 to 20 men for two semesters, fall and winter, went through the book Kingdom Man, Every Man's Destiny, Every Woman's Dream. And in that Kingdom Man course for two semesters, we were challenged to take responsibility as Christian men to be the men that God has destined us to be and has empowered us to be through our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with Tony Evans, he was for almost four decades the pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Church in Dallas, Texas. He is also the founder and president of the Urban Alternative, a great ministry to communities and to public schools where they help poor public schools in mentoring and in basic computer skills and other things. They have a wonderful modeling ministry there. In this course, this is the definition of a kingdom man. A kingdom man is a man who visibly demonstrates the comprehensive rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of his life. A kingdom man is a man who visibly demonstrates the rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of his life. Fathers, our goal is to bring every area of our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There are no exempted areas of life. Every area of life is to be brought in alignment with the lordship of Jesus Christ. The goal of a kingdom man is to glorify God through the advancement of his kingdom by exhibiting responsibility and leadership in my personal, family, church, and community life. I am to glorify God by advancing his kingdom as I take responsibility and leadership in my personal life, in my family life, in my church life, and in my community life. 
And so the title of this message is, Let Every Father Say, I Am Responsible. Let Every Father Say, I Am Responsible. Our first point this morning is the victim mentality. We live in a society that is dominated by the victim mentality. It is everywhere in our culture. I don't get what I deserve. I don't get what I think I have coming to me. And when there's something wrong in my life, someone else is always to blame. We blame the school system. We blame the government. We blame our employer. We blame our parents. We blame our circumstances. And yes, we even blame God. I think we'd be surprised, maybe we wouldn't be, at how many people are out there in our culture today who are blaming God because of some difficulty or bad circumstance in their life. Everybody seems to be to blame for my problems except me. Individual responsibility and individual accountability seem to be dying concepts in our culture. Of course, blaming others goes all the way back to Adam. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. After Eve gave Adam the fruit to eat from the forbidden tree, he eats it, and then God comes to Adam. He says, Adam, have you eaten fruit from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? You know what Adam said? He said, the woman you gave me. The woman you gave me gave me fruit to eat, and I ate it. Guys, do you see what's happening? Adam's not just blaming Eve. He's blaming God. He didn't just say, the woman gave me the fruit. He says, and you can check it out in Genesis chapter 3, he says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit, and I ate it. So the victim mentality is widespread in our culture today. But what is even more disturbing is that the victim mentality has spilled over into the church. There are Christians, and my guess is many of you know someone or some people like this. There are Christians who have stopped going to church or they've become embittered toward the church because somebody did something they didn't like. They're blaming a pastor. They're blaming a youth pastor. They're blaming a congregation. Or they're blaming an individual within the congregation. Now, please don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not excusing in any way any wrong actions on the part of a church or church leadership or something that an individual may have done that was wrong in a church. However, whatever has been done to us in the past, even though it may not be right, it is never an excuse. Let every person here know that whatever we've been through, whomever may have hurt us, God still expects me to continue on with my relationship with him and my involvement in the body of Christ. Let me say that again. Whatever someone may have done to you in the past, God still expects me to continue on in my relationship with him 
and in my involvement in the body of Christ. I believe Christian fathers need to regain and recommit themselves to the biblical principle of individual responsibility. The great American statesman Daniel Webster was once asked, what is the greatest thought you've ever had? And this is what he said, my accountability to God. And fathers, that is an awesome thought, that we are going to stand before God. Even as Christians, as Christians we will stand before the great Bema Seat judgment. Our salvation will not be in question because that is secure and safe in Christ. But we will give an account to God when we die of how we have lived our Christian life in the time that he gave us upon this earth. The great theologian from a generation past, William Barclay, once said this. He said, each of us will stand before God in the awful loneliness of our own soul, bringing nothing except who we really are. I love that phrase there. We will stand before God. Each of us, every person here, will stand before God in the awful loneliness of our own soul, bringing nothing except who we really are. All excuses will be cast aside. You can't fake it with God. You can't pretend with God. All the rationalizing, all the justifying will be set aside. And in the nakedness of your soul, you will stand before God. God has created me. He has created you to be a responsible moral agent. And he will hold me accountable. We know this. We know this is true in salvation. Each person must make a decision, a decision to trust Christ or reject Christ. Every person has an individual responsibility either to trust Christ as Savior or to reject the gospel message. One day, there will be the great white throne judgment talked about in the book of Revelation toward the very end. At the great white throne judgment, Jesus will judge all the unbelievers of all time in the history of the universe. They will all come to him. And folks, there will be no excuses at the great white throne judgment. No acceptable excuses for any unbeliever when they stand before the king himself. No one can say, well, I had a bad experience with Pastor Jones, and so I decided that I wasn't going to go to church, and I wasn't going to have anything to do with that gospel message. One of those Christian people hurt me, and so I've rejected the gospel, and I've never gone to church. And I will guarantee you, the king will say, I'm not asking you about Pastor Jones. I'm not asking you about that church. I'm asking you about you. What did you do with the gospel message? What, we, what, did, excuse me, what did you do with what I accomplished for you in my death 
and resurrection. People try to say the church is full of hypocrites. The church is too judgmental. The church has too many do's and don'ts. The church is too narrow-minded. But the fact is, every man and every woman will be without excuse. Every man and every woman, when they stand before God, will be without excuse. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The creation of the universe, God sustaining daily, moment by moment of the universe, is so evident that no man or woman will be able to give an excuse. The intricacy, the intimacy of the creation of the universe we see around us gives so clearly the evidence of a creator, the evidence of a personal God, that in the end, no person will be able to give an excuse. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 5, which we looked at as a congregation just a few months ago, Peter says, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He is speaking of the Gentiles who, do, who want to do anything they want to do. But Peter says this, however they live their lives, know this, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Our second point this morning is I am responsible for my actions. If I sin, I am responsible to admit, to confess, to repent, and if need be, to apologize or make restitution. When I sin, I am responsible for my sin. In Proverbs 28:13 we read, "He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy." Do you want to know the mercy of God? Take full responsibility for your sin. Confess it and renounce it to the Lord. The more I look for someone to blame, the more I look for someone to blame, the more I will excuse my sin and the further I will plunge into my own sin. Some men say, sure, I flirt with some of the women at work and I occasionally look at pornography, but hey, my wife doesn't love and respect me like, I should, like she should. I was reading an article a number of years ago that said one of the primary reasons one of the primary reasons married men, one of the primary reasons married men give for looking at pornography is that their wife doesn't love them enough. Their wife doesn't give them enough sex. Their wife doesn't appreciate them enough. Guys, we're just like Adam. We are indulging our own flesh, but it's her fault. It's her fault. Some men say, sure, I get angry and a little harsh, but hey, people just don't understand how busy I am and how stressful my job is. 
And so they excuse their sin. You don't understand my job. You don't understand what I have to go through. You don't understand the kind of people that I have to work with day in and day out. Some men say, sure, I don't read my Bible and pray like I should, but I'm not a Bible scholar, and sometimes the Bible is just confusing. So we blame our lack of education. Or we say, I'm not, I'm not a great reader. Or I'm not as smart as some other guys. Guys, I want you to know, I don't care how smart you are, or how smart or how much lack of intelligence you think you may have. Or whether you're a good reader or a bad reader, it doesn't matter. You can be passionately in love with Christ. It doesn't matter what your background, it doesn't matter what your skill level is. You just have to have a heart that passionately longs for and desires Christ and a deep desire to walk with him. It's open to everyone. It doesn't matter how much or how little education you may have. Rather than blaming others, I need to take full responsibility for all my actions. Our third point is really the heart of this message. I am responsible for my spiritual growth. One of the key missing ingredients in the lives of many Christian fathers is the willingness to come to grips with the fact that I am responsible. I am responsible for my spiritual growth. If I'm not growing, there is no one to blame but me. If I am to grow and change and make a difference, I must take the initiative and I must pursue my growth in Christ. Some men say, well, I'm not growing because I've never been properly discipled. Some men say, I don't witness because I've never been through a, an evangelism training program or ministry. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm fully supportive of discipleship and evangelism training ministries. Fully supportive. But guys, I want you to know something. Here's a fact. Here is a fact. I know and could name for you Christian men who are growing dynamically and sharing their faith who have never been through a formal discipleship or evangelism training ministry. Conversely, as a fact, I can tell you, and I could name names for you, of Christian men who have gone through some of the best discipleship and evangelism training available in the world today, and they're still not growing and they're still not sharing their faith. And we say, how can that be? You know why? Because it's up to you what you do with what you learn. You can be in the greatest evangelism course ever known to man, but if you're not in love with Christ, and if you don't have a passion to share him, that training is going to go in one ear and out the other. There is a key element that must accompany any kind of training, and that is the truth that I am responsible. Next year, we're going to be offering the Perspectives course. Perspectives on the world Christian movement. 
Many people in this church have taken that course. But I'm telling you, if you don't have a love for Christ and a love for what he's doing around the world, that great course is going to be meaningless to you. And I believe that Christian fathers in the United States today will be held even more accountable than Christian fathers in the past or Christian fathers in other parts of the world. We have more resources available to us than we've ever had before. Resources are not an issue. You can go online and hear great sermons. You can watch the preacher preach the great sermons on YouTube or other places on the internet. All kinds of articles, all kinds of online books available. In addition to that, there are plethora of books, CDs, videos, Christian radio, Christian television. It's almost overwhelming. And yet, Kent and Jenny could tell you this, many missionaries could tell you this, in many parts of the world, especially in developing parts of the world, most of the fathers there don't even have one-tenth of the resources that you have. And some of them are living dynamically for Christ. We've got so much. But the question is, what are we going to do with it? That brings us to our fourth and final point, and that is the great mystery. One of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life is that some Christians seem so energized and motivated, while others seem so apathetic and indifferent. It is, it is a fascinating thing to observe during our time upon the earth that some Christians are so energized and they're so motivated and others seem so apathetic and so indifferent. They listen to the same sermons. They read the same books and they go to the same churches. But there's this great different difference. The results are so different. Now, I want to say something so important here. I am not. Fathers, I am not. And forgive me if I just come across this way. I am not trying to heap guilt on you. I am not. One of the things we learned in that kingdom man class is that Christ has given you the power to be the man he has destined you to be. It's in you. It's in you. You can be the man that God has called you to be. You can be a passionate, energized, totally in love follower of Christ. You can be, I don't care who you are or what your background is, our potential for spiritual growth, our potential to be used by God is greater than we will ever imagine. And I want you, I want me to be excited about that. Our potential to grow in Christ, our potential to be used by God is greater than we could ever ask or imagine. But, but dads, we must see ourselves as individually responsible. We must stop blaming our past. We must stop blaming our lack of skills. We must stop blaming other people. A number of years ago, I went or I preached through the life of David in the Old Testament. And one of my favorite stories from the life of David is actually about a woman and her name was Abigail. 
And Abigail was married to a man named Nabal, who was a wicked and evil man. And David and his men, this is before David became king, they were on the run, and they were staying out in this area where Nabal had these great flocks of sheep. And David and his men actually protected his shepherds and protected his sheep. And when they were about to move on, they sent some of the shepherds to Nabal and said, give us some meager provisions, some food and drink to help us on our way. And Nabal says, who's David? Who is this son of Jesse? He's not getting anything from me. So David and his men came to make war on Nabal and his men, and there was going to be this great conflict. But his wife, Nabal's wife, Abigail, a godly, godly woman, she runs out, and David and his men are coming, if you can imagine the scene, and she throws herself on the ground and bows down before David and said, I will give you whatever you need. Don't listen to my wicked husband. And she did. She cared for David and his men. She, guys, I, I, this is what I want to bring out of that story. She lived a godly life filled with inner beauty, even though she was married to an evil, selfish, arrogant man. She told David, I know that God has made you king. I know that God is going to fulfill all of his good promises to you. Now this is in a day and age where there wasn't mass communication, wasn't any at all, and somehow she had heard about and believed in all of God's promises and his promises to David. Somehow, living with this horrid man, and if you read the story, I'm not even doing justice to how evil he was. Living in this circumstance, she passionately loved the living God. And she didn't use her husband and she didn't use her circumstances as an excuse. Men, I pray. I pray that God will give each of us a deep passion, a deep passion to know him and to live for him. Pray that this week. Pray that today on this Father's Day that he will pump you up, that he will cause your adrenaline to flow in passion and desire for him, no matter what your skill level, no matter what your background. Let's go back to where we began. The definition of a kingdom man is this. A kingdom man is a man who visibly demonstrates the comprehensive rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of his life. A kingdom man seems to, seeks to bring every single area of his life under the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ. His goal is to glorify God through the advancement of his kingdom by exhibiting personal responsibility and leadership in my personal family, church, and community life. Oh Lord, I want to glorify you by taking personal responsibility and leadership in my personal life, in my family life, in my church life, and in my community life. The Apostle Paul said, For we will all stand 
before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, so then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let every father say, I am responsible. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, you are our heavenly Father. You are our perfect Father. Help us to desperately come to you, to lean on you, to cry out to you, to make us the fathers you have destined us to be, to make us the fathers you have empowered us to be. Help every father here, Lord. Help every father here to take responsibility for the life you have given him. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.